Wow, what an awesome day. Welcome to Grace Point. I know we have a few extra faces, some younger faces in the house. If you are in elementary school to middle school, give me a hoo-hoo or a hoorah or something. Hoorah! Okay, there's a few back there. We had a lot more in the in the first gathering. And so they're going to get to help teach today, okay? You'll get to see that in a little bit. We've uh, called out a few of them. Calling kids is probably not the right sentence, right? Calling kids. But uh, anyway, we, we picked out a few kids. They're going to help read the scriptures today for us, but we will do that. But I want us to go on a journey today, okay? So just with the kids in the room, and we like the kids in the room. We don't do this all the time. We do this just about four or five times a year, but it's a special time because we don't see the church over there in the next building as the kids' church and us over here as the adults or grown-up church. Um, we are the church, okay? And your family is a part of the church. And so worshiping as a family, hopefully, 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 hopefully something you do on a regular basis, okay? So that's just a free material, free challenge to you. You come and talk to me. We'll talk about ways that we try to, we try to any number of ways and constant variety is one of the words I would say is important for that in your home. But coming in as a family and worshiping together is beautiful, but we're going to take a trip today. Okay. We're going to kind of do this different. This Palm Sunday, I know it, and it's going to, it's going to tie in, but but it's, it's a bit different because as I pray, a lot of people don't know who Jesus is. I know we take that for granted. You can go between here and your home and pass three or four churches at least probably. From my house, one time I counted there are eight churches before I get to Grace Point. So literally, if I was choosing a church, I would have eight other stops along the way before getting here. So when I think about that, and then I think about parts of the world who don't even know his name, that is not fit into my mind. But I want to take you on a trip. To a place on a bumpy road. So fasten your seatbelt, pack light. But we're going to go to a place that we lived for four years. And we still look back at it as our second home. We, we Our kids were there. Our kids were, uh, one of them was born there. And we they, they, they still look back, even though it was in very formative years. They look back at it as, again, their second home. So this is a place that means a lot to us. It's on the continent of Africa. And Africa, once you go there, it'll mess you up, okay? In a good way, I promise you. You go there, you'll fall in love with the people, the cultures, the smells, the the experience of, of it all. And it was that for us. Uh, we lived in a country where there's about 70 different uh, languages or ethnic groups that are in there. There are about seven different primary languages that are spoken that are tribal languages, if you will. English is the national language, but there are many national languages that are still spoken. We worked among the fourth largest people group in that country in an area that is right in the heart of Africa, okay? If you go there with me, you'd have to ride on some bumpy roads and we'd have to take a lot of airplanes, a lot of, a lot of time in the air, but it would be an incredible journey. But whenever you get there and you're traveling, there is basically one road north and south, okay? One road and it's two lanes. It's called the Great North Road. The Great North Road literally runs from Cape Town, South Africa, all the way up to Cairo, Egypt. 
The, tra- the, the, the train track runs the whole distance. It was a part of Cecil Rhodes' vision in the colonialism days, good as bad as that may have been, uh, is, is to see from Cape to Cairo a, 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 a train that would go there, take and create commerce pathways into the interior of Africa. Well, along that highway is where we lived. We lived in the town of Livingston in a country that's smaller than the size of Texas, the country of Zambia. And in that country, we lived on the Great North Road. It passed literally 500 feet from our house is where the Great North Road, and again, it's two lane. Don't get, don't get excited about a Great North Road. It's just a two lane road with a lot of potholes in it is basically how you would describe it. But you go up this Great North Road and you'll go all the way. But when, when you're going up, they told us in the beginning, missionaries had been there for years. They said, if you go a hundred miles this way or a hundred miles this way, you'll find that there are nobody who knows the gospel. People in those villages, unless they've been to the city, unless they've been within and lived within that that uh, one-hour track uh, uh, of the Great North Road, then they probably have heard. There are churches around there. But if you go an hour this way or an hour that way, you will not find people. You will find people who have never heard. Villages that don't have a church, that they, they don't have a gospel witness, they don't have a missionary, they don't have a pastor, and probably there's not a Bible. And so I want to take you to one of those villages that is deep in the heart of Zambia. Now you got to understand the Tonga people. There are two Tonga people, two dialects, primary dialects of the Tonga people. There is the Plateau Tonga people. They live up on the plateau along the Great North Road. More developed, more schools, more electricities, more water in that area. If you go over the escarpment and down into the valley, you come to the Valley Tonga. And they speak deep, rich Tonga. The Tonga on the plateau, but when you're learning the language, you have to almost figure out which one you're going to learn. So we focused on the Valley Tonga because it's in that area that God called us to work. We lived in the city, but we thrived in the village. We loved village life. We, we, we bathed under the stars. Uh, we, we used outhouses. Uh, we cooked our food over an open fire. Um, we, um, we, we ate with the villagers and we drank with the villagers and we worshiped with the villagers. If they knew Jesus and if they didn't know Jesus, we would talk about Jesus with them. It was an incredible time and we loved it so, so much. But that's a people in the valley, in the areas that we went, that they didn't know who Jesus was. Um, and they were so hospitable to us. Every village we would go in, we would first of all go and meet the headman. We'd spend time with the headman or the chief of the village. And every single time, every single time that I can remember, the village headman would give us a chicken. That was our gift. Now, uh, the chicken is 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 prime rib, okay, uh, to many Africans, and I love chicken more than I love prime rib. So I'm I'm a, maybe a little bit African in me, but uh, I I the village chicken was like getting a gift certificate to Ruth Chris. Well, when we go to this one village, this village that's beyond villages, it's it's like you go to Mapatija, y'all know where Mapatija is. Then you go down into Cienzovu. Then you go right and you go to Cienpondo. That's the last school. Then you keep going 
And then you can reach the village of Siengkwakwani. Say that with me, Siengkwakwani. Not bad, not bad. Don't try to voice it into your phone. It won't come out right, okay? No telling what you'll get. But the Zambians or the Tonga, you don't have to tell them there's a God. They believe in God. They believe in God so much, they pray to their God on a regular basis. They give offerings to their God on a regular basis. They pray to their God and their God is named Muzimu. Their God is their dead ancestors who have died before them. And they will literally drink beer and spit it on the ground so that their dead ancestors can come and lap it up. They will name their children after their ancestors so that the Mazimu will give them blessings. Because if the Mazimu's name is ever forgotten, is ever not passed down to the next generation, then that generation will face witching from the Mazimu's that are dark. So they live every day very cognizant of the spiritual world. We in America sometimes have a hard time believing in a spiritual world. You will not have to convince a Tonga that there is a spiritual world out there. So whenever we go into the village, this is exactly what I would do. If they had never heard of Jesus, and literally I can take you to a village today. It would take us a while to get there. But I can take you to a village that I sat in that village on a Sunday morning. And there was about five of us under a tree. And I asked them, have you ever heard of Adam and Eve? And they had never heard of Adam and Eve, which, okay, that's not as big as Jesus, but it's pretty important because what, why is Jesus important unless you know why we need Jesus? And then you got to go back to the beginning. And so literally I would sit down with them around a campfire or uh, under a tree and I would start a story like this. Let me tell you about a time, a time when God created everything. When he created everything, it was beautiful. It was good. It was right. No between tribes. There weren't even tribes at that time. There was a great right. It was the way God supposed was it supposed to be. At this point, they are leaning in. Because just like you and just like me, I want to get back to that day. I want to get back to the day when there's harmony, when there's peace, when there's rhythms, when when we can all get along out there and we don't have this tribalism that we have in our land today. So they're leaning in at this point. And I say then, all of a sudden, your mother and my mother, your father and my father messed it all up. Because they listened to a person or a spiritual being named Satani or Satan. And they listened to him in such a way that they obeyed him and didn't obey God. And when they did that, there's a major problem that entered into the world. The problem is called sin. And when that sin came into this world, it messed everything up. And everyone Me, you, every one of our generations before us has been messed up. We fight, we, 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 we steal, we lie, we cheat. We do so many things that are against God's plan, against God's rhythm. And they're all shaking their heads, yes. Because they see the same thing you and I see. They see it differently. They see they're in their context, but they're seeing the same things that you and I see. 
And I'll refer to this. I may not give him the chapter and verse, but I'll refer to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I'll talk about, you know what happens because we offended God? Because we have sinned? That offense, that breaking of God's law results in something. What does it result in? Death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. There's going to be death because of this. Now, we in this room might immediately think, okay, he's talking about us. And he is. But he's talking about death in general. There wasn't a world with death. Now there is a world with death. That's why I look at all forms of death, call it cancer, call it murder, call it just simply passing away of old age. I look at all of that as a form of pointing back to the fallenness of man and what the results of that have been is death. Though there's spiritual death, there's physical death, every form of death. But I want to give you the punchline, okay? Because I don't want some of y'all hanging on the end of your seats. Actually, I do, but you know maybe the rest of the story because the the verse goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Now that's the end of the story. If I was in a village right now, I would not share that. I would start sharing from Genesis and I would keep sharing from Genesis. And then I would go to Exodus and then I would go to Leviticus and then I would start sharing the story. So let me tell you about the time I went to see Korkwani. And over the course of several months, I'm sharing the various stories. So let me just pick back up with the story. What happens when mankind falls, Adam and Eve fall? Well, they run and hide. They run and hide from God. God comes to them, pursues them out, looks them up. They're running from God in fear and they start covering themselves. They start covering themselves because they're now seeing both good and evil. Before then, they only saw good, but now they're seeing good and evil. Now, if you've been with us to the Genesis study, you know what I'm talking about here. They start getting together fig leaves. They get the most organic clothing ever, a line of clothing, and they, they sew it together and they put it on them and they cover themselves up. And what happens then? Well, God comes up on the scene and he says, where are you? And he starts looking for them. And what he does, he finds them. And when he finds them, he does something. He makes a sacrifice for them. So here's something I want you to understand. There is a conventional thought in our world that life leads to death. If you don't believe me, go visit a cemetery. All right? What do you have? When they were born, when they were die. Let me tell you about the biblical model. Let me tell you about the Jesus model. It's life leads to death, but leads to life. Say, I want that one. How do I sign up for that one? Because I know the other one. I've been to the cemeteries. I've been to the graveyards. I want this. You got to zero in on the death. The death is a reality. If you don't deal with death, death is the significant part of that part. So what happens when mankind sins, God has to cover up our shame. So death covers up shame. 
If you have your Bibles, I'm going to give you a bunch of verses. The kids are going to jump in and help me read them. So we're going to start with Genesis chapter 3. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, God shows up on the scene. He holds them accountable. And then what he does at the very end of the chapter, after holding them accountable, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, Logan is going to read this verse for us. Listen very carefully. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Genesis three twenty one. Give Logan a hand. It's brave to read in big church. I want you to notice this in Genesis three twenty one. He says, "And God made." Do you remember the last time God made something? It was Genesis chapter one. The second time he's making something, he's making something to cover their sins. So God is now having to end the business of covering up sin problems. Notice what he does. He doesn't look at their organic garments of cotton or whatever they made it with. He looks and he kills. Death, sin enters the world and death enters the world. God of the universe makes a sacrifice and covers up their sin with the skin of an animal. The first death, the first sacrifice, who does it but God? What does God do with it? He covers up their sin. There is so much gospel in that. Don't miss that. And this is only in Genesis chapter 3. God is making a sacrifice. God is covering up. Death had to happen because that's a penalty. That's what the truth and consequence is behind our sin. So death had to happen. God creates death or God makes the first sacrifice. Everyone, everyone is going to need a sacrifice. Death also requires a precious son. If you keep on reading. Hey, let me just say this to you. This Bible that we hold... 66 books of them is not 66 various disjointed stories out there. It is one story with one main character and a bunch of supporting actors. We're the supporting actors. He's the main character. We're living out his story. What we're going to see from all through Genesis and all throughout the Old Testament is you're going to see where all of this plays out. So you go fast forward to Genesis chapter 22. You're going to find Abraham. Abraham, who is he? He is what's called in the Bible a friend of God. Now, next Sunday, we're going to soft launch, if you will, a friend of God message because Easter is coming. Friend of God series is coming up after this. We're going to be looking at Abraham's life and how he was a friend of God. He's the only person in scripture that I know of that's referred to as a friend of God. We're going to, we're going to look at Abraham's life. Okay. Next Sunday, we're going to soft launch that and we'll save that for next week. But let me say this. If you have not signed up for next Sunday, please, please do that. You will help us in our planning and preparation for next Sunday. We're going to be, well, next weekend, let me say this Saturday night here, Sunday morning, three different times. Please tell us when you're coming. And if you're completely flexible and you're an early riser, eight o'clock is sweet spot. Okay. We need people at eight o'clock. So think about that. That's, Hey, listen, the women, uh, were the first ones to preach the resurrection message in the beginning of time. They got there early in the morning. So be like Mary and Martha and get there early in the morning. A little, uh, little play on words there. All right. So let's go back to the friend of God thing. 
When we think about a friend of God, we think, oh, okay, what does it mean to be a friend of God? Everything's up and to the right, right? You know, I, 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 I get to know God and, and my relationship with God just goes up and to the right. Well, what we're going to learn with Abraham is it doesn't look like that up and to the right. It looks more like this and then maybe heading in the right direction. That's what it looks like to be a friend of God. And that's what we're going to experience when we go through the life of Abraham. But let me show you one of his bright spots. One of the moments in time when he was actually living out his faith. It was a time whenever a sacrifice needed to be made. God told him, your son is going to be the sacrifice. No, wait, 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 God. We've been waiting for this son. This son's been a long time in the making. You talked about a whole nation being born out of this son. And this is our only son to Sarah and, and, and Abraham. And so how is it that you're going to ask me to offer a sacrifice of my one and only son? He didn't ask God any of those questions. He just takes off and go, does it. Now, we're going to spend a lot more time studying this in the future. But I want Warren to read Genesis 22, verses 1 to 3. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and um, and loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went off together. So can you imagine in Isaac's mind, he's doing the math. Okay, there's the altar. There's the wood. There's there. Where's the burnt offering? And what does dad say? God will provide. But you go on and read the story. We don't have time and we'll spend a lot more time on it whenever we get into Abraham's story. But Abraham is going to tie his son up on the offering. He's going to have the, the axe, the saw in hand ready to, to do the deed of offering up his son. Okay, how, how crazy is that? And then at that moment, this is what happens in verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Listen, I want us to see that not only does a sacrifice need to be made, was, was to cover our shame, but it, that, that sacrifice required a precious son. But the son was substituted by a lamb, by a ram. God will provide God will provide a substitute. All along, he's realizing he's about to offer his son. There's such a dichotomy, such a complexity of that story. We'll save a lot of that to whenever we get there in the future. Let's talk about this. Death also saves us from death. When you're talking about death, it saves us from death. Whenever you look at this, you go on, you pass hundreds of years later, and you get to the book of Exodus, and you find the people of Israel in Egyptian bondage. And they're ready to get out, but they're, they're locked down. Pharaoh's not letting them out. God sends plague after plague to beat down every one of their gods. 
The, the plagues were necessary to destroy the gods of the Egyptians. And the last plague was to take life. But God would provide. If you'll sacrifice a lamb and you'll take a hyssop branch and cover the doorpost of your homes, then the death angel will not take your children. Let's let Landon read Exodus chapter 12. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of his this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household hold is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in a door dance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year old males without defect and you may take them with the sheep or the goats. Notice this. Go back to Genesis. It took a sacrifice to cover our shame and our guilt. It took a son sacrifice. Now it's taking the death of the lamb and the covering of the doorposts to save the lives of individuals. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over is, is God's way of providing uh, salvation and no plague will befall you to destroy you. And I will strike the land of Egypt. Everyone needs a sacrifice. The sacrifice is required to cover our shame and our guilt, the sacrifice of a son, the sacrifice of something, of a lamb, so that we don't die. Even David, whenever he committed his sin with Bathsheba, in Psalm 51, will take hyssop and will cover, refer to hyssop as a covering, as an act of redemption in Psalm 51. But also death requires suffering. All of this points back to the wages of sin is death. Why death? Why? Because it requires suffering. When you look at the life of Jesus, we're not even there yet. 400 years prior to him coming, they're telling of his suffering. They're telling of his death. He's the precious son. He's the one that's going to cover our, our, our sin. He's doing all of that. Isaiah chapter 53. Cheyenne, would you read for us uh, Isaiah 53? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I don't know if she emphasized that on purpose or not, but each of us have turned our own way. That's what sin is. When we go our own way, 
do it our own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's verse 6. You go to verse 7. It says this. I want you to read this out loud with me. So you read with me. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. is like the sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. When Jesus was in trial, standing before uh, the, the rulers of that day, he did not fight back. He did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. Everyone needs a lamb. When I'm telling this and seeing Kwakwani and I'm literally going through the Old Testament one visit after another, I would tell another story the next visit. I might take my family one time. I might take national believers another time. I might take volunteer teams, but we would just keep going back and we would just keep adding to the stories. We're out in seeing Kwakwani. And one of our first visits, we're meeting out under a tree next to some, in this village courtyard, if you will. In fact, we have a picture of one of our first meetings. All the men are gathered there. The women are tucked back underneath the eave of that other house. Most of the women, sadly, are doing all the work right now at home. Seriously, it's in the middle of the day. The women are working and the men are there listening. The women would come at night. I want to introduce you to four of them. I don't remember any of their names, but I I grew to love them. They grew to love my family. But these four ladies, uh, they're very traditional ladies. They've got the, the, the little sticks in the noses and and living their life and smoking their pipes and and but these ladies loved us and we love them the lady the second lady to the right okay dark blue shirt she's sitting there and by the way the beads around the neck point to their animistic beliefs but I'll say that for another day but I'm sitting there teaching about the fact That we all need a sacrifice to cover our sin. We all need a lamb to pay a price to cover our sins. We all need this sacrifice made. And all of a sudden in the middle of my talk underneath the moonlight that night, she stands up, interrupts me. She says, I don't have a lamb. I don't have a lamb. She said it three times. I don't have a lamb. She was saying, in essence, what am I to do? I don't have a lamb. So I said, hold that thought. And I left the village again. And I came back again. The next time I came back, we picked up in John chapter 1. When we learn in John chapter 1 that Christ's death becomes our eternal life. Comes, he saves us from eternal death is Jesus' sacrifice. And, and I get this because the last prophet, the last Old Testament prophet would stand in the middle of the crowds of people and would see Jesus walking up to him. And John the Baptist would say this, and I'm going to let Jenny read it to us. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I was so excited to come back and to tell that lady 
that you don't have to go find a lamb, that there is a lamb. And that lamb has been provided for you. And that lamb's name is Jesus. And what is he going to do? He's going to take away the sins of the world. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. He becomes our curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Jesus Christ becomes the sacrificial lamb. And in Romans chapter 10, if I can go back there and close it out today, I want us to think about Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, him being Jesus, you will be saved. And it was a beautiful thing. And I actually have a photo, but I, I don't have it in, in, in the deck. To this very day, 20 years later, I got a text this past week from Gibson, who's the pastor there. The church continues to meet in San Quaquani of baptized believers, of people who've experienced the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. People who have said, yes, I am trusting in Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. So let me say this to you today. I don't, I'm not asking, have you heard about Jesus? I'm believing you've heard about Jesus before you ever walked into this room. I'm asking, do you know Jesus? Because whenever we moved to Africa 24 years ago, we thought we were going to Zambia for the rest of our lives. And then four years into that, God calls us back here. He calls us back to our home village to share the same message that what it means to know God and love people and live sent. But more important than you knowing about God is do you know God? And going into Easter, more important than you having some pastel dress or Easter egg hunt or something like that. Do you know Jesus? Personally and intimately, do you know him? And the 25th of April, we're going to celebrate it in baptism those who know him and those who've declared him and those who... So maybe you're here today and you're ready to give your life to Jesus. I would ask that you would, right now, just pray to him. If, you, if you'd connect with us, there's a card in front of you. You can fill that out and drop in the offering basket. You can, you can, if you're watching, you can text in GPC Connect. If you're in the room, text in GPC Connect to 9700 and... Fill out the little survey. We'll, we'll reach out to you. We want to walk with you as you enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We're going to enter into a time of observing the Lord's Supper. But these are not disjointed. This is very much fits together hand in glove. Because if you have your elements, if you can take them out now, and it might take you a few moments and a lot of wrapping paper noises in the room. Go ahead and try to separate these two out. So the top layer that has a little bread separator from the cup. And I just want you to hold these elements. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ and you are ready to observe this with us, then please jump in and observe this with us. If you're not yet a follower of Christ or things aren't exactly right between you and the Lord, listen, don't feel any pressure whatsoever 
this is a time and a space for you to seriously reflect. Seriously do business with the Lord. I'm going to give us some space and I want you to answer this question in your mind. Do I know about God or do I know God? Do I know about Jesus or do I know Jesus? And if you don't know Jesus, then right now where you're at, just say, Jesus, I give myself to you. I acknowledge that you are God. I acknowledge that you're the Lamb of God that came to take away my sins through your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Let's just give you some space and me some space to just reflect on that. Father, there's a lot of noise in our world. There's a lot of things that would cause us to confuse what it really means to know you, Jesus, as Lord, Savior versus knowing you as a fact or just a a person in history. But Lord, when you called us to follow you, it was a total body life experience. It was head, hard hands. It was past, present, and future. We give our past to you. We live for you in our present. And we, Lord, walk with you in our future. It's a total life experience. Father, may there not be confusion about that for anybody in this room. And that only happened because of Jesus. In Jesus' name, we rejoice and we all together say, Amen. As we look at these elements and you hold them, um, first of all, we have bread. Um, the bread speaks of the body of Christ. Um, the bread speaks of, uh, of, of Jesus entering into time and putting on flesh and dwelling among us. It is, it is the God, God incarnate. It is, it is God coming into our space, coming to us. Just like God went to Adam and Eve when they were hiding, Jesus comes to us and he puts on flesh and he dwells among us. And he's with his disciples in the night of his betrayal. He says this in Matthew 26, 26. Now as, as they were eating, 
Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. Notice they didn't take it. You don't take Jesus. You receive Jesus. To many as received him, John 1.12 says, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. You receive Jesus. So they received the element of bread to his disciples. He says, take eat. This is my body. As, as, as you take this wafer, if you're like me, I used to just kind of put it in my mouth and chomp on it. I don't want you to do that. I want you to put it in your mouth, put it on your, on your tongue, and I want you just to let it dissolve. It'll take a few seconds. And in that amount of time, we're going to pause and let you just reflect on the life of Christ. What has he meant to you in your life? And they took. The second element of that night was the cup. It says, and he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. Notice they didn't take it. He gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. It's an invitation for all of us. For this is my blood, and the covenant which is poured out for many For the forgiveness of sins. Now just imagine going back to Adam and Eve, them covering their sins themselves. Think about the Egyptian people, them trying to be their own saviors of the world, but yet what was it? It was the blood that was the savior. It is Jesus' blood that is our salvation, is our hope, is our, 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 our pathway to forgiveness. Listen, when you think about Jesus dying on the cross this week, and hopefully you will think deeply about it and spend a significant amount of time on it, I want you to answer the question in your mind, how did Jesus actually die? What was the cause of death? Was it his scourging? Was it the fact that he was beaten nearly to death? You know, Think about the cat of nine tails, and I'll, it's a rated R if I went into the description of all the lacerations that happened to him and how deep that would have gone into his skin and into his muscles and into his whole being. I mean, he was open wounded. And then he was car- given a cross to carry. Carrying that cross in the Middle Eastern heat up a hill. He couldn't even do it. Fell over. The man comes. He's assigned to carry the cross up. For Jesus, all along, the heart rate of Jesus is pulsating. He's bleeding even more. He gets to the top. They nail him to a cross. Oh, by the way, the crown of thorns, think about that. He created the earth and everything in the earth, even the plants. And now the plants are crucifying him. People are crucifying him. The very people he created. 
They're crucifying him. They hang him on a cross. Romans have done this for now. Thousands of deaths, hundreds of years, literally, is how long the Romans have been doing this. That's the number one form of death. They had perfected it, and they knew that you would suffocate on the cross because what you would do is you would gasp for air. You would press up against all your joints, trying to get air into your lungs. Notice the last words of Jesus got shorter and shorter as he went along. He had seven statements on the cross. They got shorter and shorter. And so he's gasping for air. So did he did he die because he couldn't breathe? I believe he died because he lost all of his blood. He just bled out. So that's why when I come to this verse in Hebrews 9, 22, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, but without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He comes right back to the forgiveness of sins. Father God, thank you. For suffering for us so that we might live. May we hold tightly to the beauty of your sacrifice of your son of his death, of his suffering for us that we could live forever forgiven of our sins. That's the gospel from Genesis to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And they drink. We cannot end this day without taking a moment and worshiping the God who gave his all for us. He is by all means worthy.